0: Some of this learning must be rubbing off on me, because even I know that it stands for something. It's an abbreviation. It doesn't <laughs> stand for Jew. It stands for D-E-W, something.
1: It does. Uh, you're, you're almost there, Justin. Almost there. Almost over the line. I've almost <laughs> taught you something. Please. <laughs> it, this is about Tullamore Jew, uh, about Tullamore distillery, uh, and, and you can't not Talk about Tullamore and Tullamore Jew without talking about Daniel Edmund Williams. Wow, that's amazing. D-E-W. I
0: mean, and, and then he brought in Give Us Your Jews and all the rest of it. I mean, it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. The marketing in this is fantastic as well.
1: Well, we did the one on Johnny Walker and about how well it, its marketing was. Well, it's pretty much the same with Tullamore. Uh, Give Every Man His Jew um je- jew's one of those um oh what's the word for it it's one of those it it, it sounds like different things it could be someone who's Jewish, a jew or someone who is jew to go somewhere or mountain jew kind of thing and and it's that kind of play on that word give every man its jew and but it actually comes from from daniel Williams who didn't found the distillery he he, he He took he was, it over
0: and his name matched hey, that's brilliant
1: hi <laughs> but the thing was he he kind of had a name it was named Dew before he took it over um he Ooh. was a he was an extraordinary man, but we'll get to him later on there's there's a bit of history before that, so you can you, take nothing for granted. Do you like what I did there? <laughs> no all right okay all right all right <laughs> uh, that's all to be revealed Justin all People right. will get that later on all right. <laughs>
0: Hit, hit
1: fast forward and you'll get fast there. For, fast forward and you'll figure out. Go towards the end. <laughs> now, Anyone, Tullamore is really right in the centre of Ireland. Uh, it's it's in County Offaly, or as it was known, it was known as King's County before uh, the Irish Free State was formed in the nineteen twenties. So, but that was that was that was. We won't go there. No, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not go there. But that that's what it was. Um, now, back in the 1780s, which was really, people talk about this new whiskey renaissance or, you know, this new, the phoenix of Irish whiskies rising from the, from the flames. Back in the 1780s, Tullamore had two legitimate distilleries and County Offaly had 32 distilleries of its own. Now, these days we're talking about having 30, I think there's 38 possibly distilleries at the minute. Uh, and we're talking about oh, the, the, the huge amount of Irish distilleries there is. Okay. I mean, County Offaly thirty two by itself, and back in the seventeen eighties. That, that is a whopper. That is yeah. a, an incredible number. It is, but there was a there were there was varying degrees of quality. Justin, that's kind of the problem. Um, back at that time, they brought in legislation and rules and tightened things up. So by by about eighteen hundred, there was only one left. Now, in 1829, uh, Michael Malloy built a distillery beside the river. Uh, 1833, the output was 22,000 gallons. Now, the Malloys were a merchant family in the town. Michael's father was a grocer and a spirit dealer, which most of these guys tended to be. They, they were selling spirits. And then what they did was they decided we'll cut out the middleman we're having to buy the spirits from dublin or scotland or wherever it was they were sourcing their whiskies from and some of them decided well why don't we just build our own distillery which is kind of what michael malloy did now he died in 1846 so he wasn't that old when he passed away and he was unmarried now to give you an idea of just how successful he was He Left 15,000 pounds to his five nephews in the 1840s. Uh, yeah, that's that's three to four to five times what uh, what Johnny Walker left. uh, John, that's that's, it's at least three times what John Walker left to his, and he was considered to be very good in Kilmarnock, so yeah, so he was he was I bet you it was
0: Leprechaun's money.
1: Uh, You you think you think it was uh, money left under a bush somewhere? I do, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever it was, he was extremely successful. Maybe the fact that he was unmarried was an an indication as to why he had so much money. Could be (laughs) that could could be be. could be. But he left the money to his nephews. Uh, The distillery, the distillery. There was a strange sort of thing. It ended up. It was basically sold by a court to end up. It ended up in the hands. Um, some years later of of Captain Bernard Daly the, there's a chain of how it gets to him but I'll not, I'll not bore you too much with that and that was in the 1880s but it must have been after 1885 because in 1885 Alfred Bernard our great travelling friend who went the length and breadth of the British Isles he appeared at Tullamore and they let him in <laughs> and they let him in. Not like Belfast where they didn't let him in. No, <laughs> they let him in. And when he arrived, he, he describes it, and this is one of the joys of Bernard's book. He describes about how uh when he got there the uh there was the sort of annual uh festival was on and he talks about the the band was playing Where another green and the second brought up the rear gave us God Bless Old Ireland uh And although we hailed from the land of the Saxon, we were not afraid. (laughs) Indeed, we enjoyed the fun immensely and got mixed up with the crowd, feeling quite content for the first time being to quaff Daly's whiskey so freely offered us and were almost in just to join their ranks. So he was almost in just to enjoy himself. (laughs) So, so again, Bernard goes through his stuff. He gives... A wonderful sort of setting of of the distillery and so on and so forth, and talks about how the town used to be called Kilbride, but it was destroyed by fire. That was the first ever air disaster. It was a hot air balloon snagged on the chimney and basically burnt down the centre of the town, but it was rebuilt and renamed Tullamore. There's a story there about your friend that was caught up in Lockerbie, but we won't, we won't reveal it on a podcast. No, that, if anybody wants to know about that, send me a private message and we'll get back to you. <laughs> um, yeah, very strange guy. Uh, when, when he talks about it, uh, he talks about how, obviously, he goes through the, the, the output and so on and so forth. And one of the things he gets... It's a bit strange. Now, Bernard doesn't make many mistakes, but I'm pretty certain sure that this is a mistake. He talks about the stillhouse and he says the stillhouse, built in stone pillars over the river, and I've seen three worm tubs, very handsome vessels. The stillhouse is a fine open building containing four old pot stills. There are no others on the premises. The following is their capacity. Two wash stills each holding 16,000 gallons. Fair enough. A low wine still of 5,500 gallons and a spirit still of 10,500 gallons. Now, your low wine still should, always going to be much bigger than your spirit still. So I assume he's made a mistake there and confused the low wines and the spirit still. He's just transposed them, probably, yeah. I think he's probably just made a little bit of a mistake. Um... But it would be very surprising if, if, that, if it wasn't that you made a mistake. So just, well,
0: if you're visiting every, every distillery in the British Isles, so, you know, it's... Uh, it stands
1: to sense, yeah. But, uh, I mean, surely during an edit or something, they could have corrected that. I don't know, but I would doubt if that's actually the right figures. Now, he talks about, again, the fact that it's beside the river, it's beside the, the Grand Canal, which linked the, the Shannon with Dublin and the fact that they could bring in coal. Beautiful spot. It is a beautiful spot, it really is. And he goes on to say, uh, the whiskey is old pot still and sold all over Ireland, but principally in Dublin, whilst the large quantity goes to Liverpool, London and Australia. We tasted some eight years old, which was so good that it reminded us of Moore's lines. Now he's talking about Thomas Moore, and I'll just read you a little bit of this because it's a little quote from Irish ballads of uh, by Thomas Moore. Um, so, drink of the cup, oh, there's a spell in. It's every drop against the ills of mortality. Talk of the cordial that sparkled for Helen. Her cup was a fiction, but this is reality. So, basically, he's talking about this is fabulous whiskey. He, I mean, he, he obviously thinks it's absolutely superb. There's a hundred people working in the distillery, and he really does uh, rate it. Bernard doesn't tend to run any of the distilleries down, but the fact that he's quoting that it's and he gives a very
0: lengthy. Well, he must coat, have been go- He must have gone to r- run Avenil down because he didn't let him in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, oh, uh, that's that's another thing that hilariously funny. But no, he t- he talks about the the barns and stuff and all the other usual stuff that he talks about now it was williams who who took over the distillery he he started up when he was only 14 or 15 there's two two different numbers that i've come across and he spent 60 years working at the distillery now he was made general manager and in bernard's uh Report, he said. The distillery is superintended by M- Mr. Bernard Daly's son, Mr. B. Mara, his nephew, and Mr. Charles commune his son-in-law. But the general management is under the control of Mr. Daniel Williams. Now, Williams took over, and he, he was the general manager. But he had he, he owned shares in the company, and it really was his baby Um, even before he he ended up taking over the whole thing more or less um it was Tullamore Jew was named after him great bit of marketing etc etc now if you go to the 1911 census it's put down that he was a uh spirit merchant and that's what it's put down that he was a spirit merchant okay but he, he he had an awful lot more strength to his bow than that he he imported tea he ran 26 general stores ran the distillery and when he died in 1921 it's written at his estate of the late mr d.e williams of Mister. Daniel Edward Williams, which I think is a mistake because I think it's Edmund, of Jew Park Tullamore, distiller, wholesale grocer and bottler, a director of Mrs. D. E. Williams Limited, a director of the Dublin Distillers Company Limited, the Grand Canal Company, the Hibernian Fire and General Insurers Company and the Leinster Leader Limited. So that was that was the strings to his bow. So he was obviously a very busy man right up until he died at seventy-two. I,
0: I think the the leader newspaper is uh, part of somebody else's group now, and I think the uh, Hibernian Insurance is still part of
1: some insurance company now as well. I'm sure it probably is. Um, yeah. So he, I mean, he was an extremely busy man. let that's not be about the bush. Now, Tullamore was the victim of all the other circumstances that happened to Irish whiskey prohibition, the, the partition of Ireland and the loss of the UK and the, the British Empire markets. So it said there that the, the their big sales were to Liverpool and Australia. Those were cut off after Devil Era went on the trade war with the UK mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't actually until 1954 that Tullamore was actually, Tullamore Jew was sent over to America. One of the reasons was it managed to survive in 1948. They bought a coffee still, one of these green stills Yeah. for this lighter spirit. And then six years later was the first shipment of what would now, what we would now see as Tullamore whiskey. that light very estery, green, appley, very easy to make Irish coffees, which is, I mean, that's what I was original. Irish coffees were made with, with, with Tullamore Dew, so it was that um, style of whiskey, the character that we know now, came into play. So for those years, between sort of 1920s right up until 1954, they still managed to struggle and and keep going uh by by 1931 captain Daly who the, the distillery was formerly owned by he finally was bought out essentially by the williams family uh he, quit, he resigned as a director now captain Daly had inherited it but he didn't really want anything to do with the distillery uh, he was much more, much more engaged with the important stuff of life, like playing polo, horse racing, uh, and going and shooting uh, things. He was that a playboy. Was, he was a playboy, so he didn't need to. He he knew it was in good hands. He he left it to to Williams to run, and Williams, Williams seems to have been a bit of a character, because there's the stories that he was he had a pipeline out the back of the distillery. Which, if you knew, I'm sure certain handshakes, funny handshakes were code words, you went round and filled up your your pot or your bottle or your whatever it was you brought round, jug, and you didn't necessarily have to pay the tax man. So he was... Never. Yes. So he had basically a tap at the back of the distillery that people could go round and take take what they needed and uh, pay for it on the cheap. Now... It struggled on. Now one of the things that, this is a strange thing about Tullamore, in some ways the distillery paid the price for the success of the of a brand or certainly a part of the brand. For decades Daniel Williams and his son, his son John, uh, who was a solicitor, uh, by the way his other son Edmund he was the in charge of the malt house which was a separate facility from the distillery Edmund was in charge of the, the malt house uh, which was a huge undertaking uh, it had there was four different areas to it and they could malt up to 30,000 barrels of malt at a time which I mean that's a, an awful lot of stuff to be doing by hand remember Yeah. so an awful lot of work um, but the son, John, had heard about heather wine. This this uh, old liqueur, Irish liqueur from the 17th century that was reportedly made from whiskey, herbs and heather honey. So they tried experimenting to find a, a formula. To get they were
0: into botanicals it. before people were into botanicals.
1: Well, yeah. um they, they, they it was it was doing this sort of light spirited liqueur some some probably akin to, to drambouille or uh, Benedictine you know something like that and they experimented couldn't find anything that really worked for them um, but they wondered whether this recipe had disappeared with the wild geese or uh, when the the the, the the Fla- officers and soldiers. The, flight, of, the flight, the flight of the earls. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Well, the, the flight of the wild geese happened uh, after, the, uh, after the Battle of the Boyne. So it was about sixteen ninety two after they left. Yes. Or did it leave during the, the potato famine in the middle of the nineteenth century. So eventually they put out requests all across Europe. And then in nineteen forty eight, an Austrian refugee, obviously fleeing from Europe and. and uh, the the trail of the Second World War and the aftermath of the Second World War came to Ireland with an Irish recipe that had been passed down in his family for generations and it was similar to recipes that they'd already tried out but this was just better and so Irish Mist was born now Irish Mist along with Baileys was actually a real success for Irish whisky this sounds this sounds quite daft irish whiskey was basically dying a death but irish whiskey liqueurs were really going uh, hell for leather hell for leather now you have in 1953 now bear in mind 1954 is when the first whiskeys exported to the u.s in 1953 this is the success of the Irish mist is such that they actually changed the name of the company to the Irish mist company so the distillery that they were that they had was much much too big so output was exceeding demand even with the Irish mist so essentially what they did then was who they they started using a blend of, of different whiskies, uh, including Scotch whisky, ironically. Now, Irish whiskey they end up they closed the distillery, and but the brand name was was really too good, and it was taken over by um, Irish distillers, who who kept. The, the Tullamore Jew brand name.
0: That was the big amalgamation 1966?
1: It was the big amalgamation yeah, now it's Williams's granddaughter, Teresa was married to Frank O'Reilly now, Frank O'Reilly was the head of Powers Whiskey and he had transferred the production of Tullamore to Dublin and closed the original distillery in, in 1954, so they'd Started sending stuff to America, but closed the, the distillery. Everything was amalgamated. Basically, Irish distillers down to Middleton and Cork, apart from Bushmills. Now, Bushmills at the time was really wasn't making a vast quantity of of uh, product. Anyway, I mean, Bushmills at one point was really only running for about. I think, if memory serves, about four months of the year. Right. So, Tullamore Dew was still a brand. That was recognised. They've started to sell to the States. But the distilling now had moved from Tullamore down to Middleton. Now. Obviously. Irish Distillers was taken over by Pernod Ricard. And. Pernod. Decided that. Irish distillers should concentrate really on Jameson and push Jameson in the U.S. And I mean, obviously, we know where that ended up. I mean, it's just a massive, massive success. But Tullamore Dew was always considered a, an export brand, and more so in Europe. So what they did was they started to sort of target into, into Europe, into Germany, and even over in Eastern Europe and Tullamore Dew was was bought over again. It was taken out of Irish distillers and C&C or Cantell and Cochrane were, were in charge of it and they then, they started to sell quite well. But I mean, you're still talking. It was still Irish whiskey hadn't really got the traction, and they weren't selling massive amounts. Uh, it was growing quite well, but not hugely. And then came in the big guns. In came William Grants, uh, and they basically took it over. They they took it over. And do you not think
0: this was the Scotch uh, trying to sort of? in on the Irish market, then it's it seems that way to me. It probably it was. I mean, let's
1: be honest. The seeing that, that the Irish whiskey was beginning to gain more traction, probably thinking to themselves, "We've got a brand here that's very recognisable. It has a lot of positives. It's in markets that we're probably already in, uh, but it's not necessarily in the states." So there's huge room for growth there. So they took it over and invested vast amounts of money. I mean, you're talking. I mean, this only
0: happened just over a decade ago now, twenty ten. Yeah. three hundred yeah. million quid stuck in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was for that was buying the brand, that was building distilleries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, creating lots of a lot of jobs, and uh, they've rebuilt and reopened the. The old site down by the river which i've been down to a few times and it's really really pretty really really nice um but it wasn't really expandable it wasn't really what they they thought would have been the the big enough for what their plans were now grants snapped up it was carlin's cream liqueur Irish Miss Liqueur and Frangelico. Now those I can't were... I can't say I've heard of that one. No, well it's but I think it's just sold to the Italian market. I think. Okay. Now those were sold off, and the the money was put into a new visitor centre. Now. the The nature of of Tullamore is it's that very light, spirit, and it's it's very green and pear apple it's the second best selling irish whiskey after jameson now and what they've done is they've they focused on the european market where it is the biggest selling irish whiskey but they've also started to crack into the us and sales are going up and up and up the original visitor center down by the river they have they have it, but everything now is being moved because of Corona. We haven't been able to get down and see for ourselves because it's all been done basically in the last year that all of this new, um, distillery moving across the visitor center, they're going to have all in in sort of in different places, but it's all going to be centralized in a big new capacity place where they're going to be bottling. and their capacity is up to 3.6 million liters a year um okay you know, so that's
0: distilled that's incredible the, that, I mean that's incredible I mean uh, in 2015 they were only doing uh, 950,000 cases a year mm-hmm. so that's some uh, that's some ramp up in in production
1: they i mean they're really going the hell for another. The and they will be doing um more and more they'll they'll be doing Pot still grain and uh, single malt whiskies as well. Tullamore Dew is one of those brands that has a huge history to it. It has a continuous history to it as well because even though a lot of the resurrected brands, you know, brands that died off a long time ago are bought and new distilleries are built, etc., etc., Tullamore Dew has always been there, it's always been being sold. Might not always have been made in in the town itself, but it's always been there, and I I think it's got huge potential, and you'll, it's it lends itself very well to going into certain cocktails, so you'll start to see more and more and more of it, uh, and I think in the US they have ambitions to become the biggest. Uh, I think they they'll have a a job to beat. Jameson, and in, in certainly in the in the short to mid term, but they have the ambitions to do it, and they probably have uh, all the right ingredients to do it too. Does that come down to the fact that
0: they they're going to have the coffee still up and running for the green, that they have the malt and they have the pot, so they've got the the, the three main varieties of uh, whiskey there for 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 making a cocktail based drink. Well, the thing about it is.
1: Um, Irish distillers don't do what Tullamore do can do, and it'll be interesting to see just how this all plays out. Uh, you could you could see very quickly Tullamore Jew becoming much much bigger, certainly in the states, because they have they have the backing of Grants, who are I mean a, an old family run uh, Scotch make Scotch distillery or Scotch brand, I should say, and. It harks back to well, the we, same sort of thing as more
0: You know, Grants is is, is still independent, as mm-hmm. you say. Surely they're ripe for a merger and acquisition at some
1: point. They're big enough that they don't really need to at the minute. Um, uh, who knows what's going to happen? All of that sort of businessy stuff, but with with the backing of Grants and the huge investment that they put into it, all the new building work, all the new. Uh, branding that they've come out with these new this new style of advertising which is kind of fun and quirky and you know it's bright it's it's kind of like the uh, almost like a a, the the young market you know the the young sort of trendsetter markets you know you're you're sort of mid-twenty guys who are going out for a night with their girlfriends and their girlfriends and having these wee cocktails and all this kind of new stuff and you can see how th- how they could fit into that uh you know where the white spirit market was you know with vodkas and that's all sort of retreating uh, uh, i think you see more and more people drinking more flavorsome cocktails more flavorsome spirits um Tullamore kind of bridges that gap quite well
0: excellent stuff there uh Tullamore Tullamore distillery Tullamore Jew a part of history from Marty McCauley Irish Whiskey Review podcast asked your smart speaker to play it catch us on Saturday nights 10pm on Facebook YouTube there's a replay on LinkedIn and also on Instagram as well Marty
1: thank you take care guys